You're listening to the Podcast Detroit Network. Visit www.podcastdetroit.com for more information. Welcome to Beyond the Headlines with your host, veteran journalist, Darren Nichols. Welcome to another edition of Beyond the Headlines. I'm your host, Darren Nichols. Our guest today really doesn't need an introduction, but I will anyway. Joining us today is Kari Turner. Some of you may know him from covering hip-hop for The Source and The Metro Times, others from running the poetry scene here in Detroit, uh, solo, as well as with the legendary group BBC, Yes, sir. Black Bottom Collective. The Black Bottom Collective. But today we're talking to Kari with his current job as the executive director of the Coleman Young Foundation. Welcome, Kari. Thank you, man. You you know, I love that introduction, right? That beat. Oh, yeah. That was done by Dokes. That's Dokes? That's Dokes. Oh, my goodness. Yes, that's Dokes. Dokes gave me this. He he contributed to the show. So That's the so, instrumental I've been listening to when I tune in? Yes. So it's all family here. Oh, my goodness. Oh, yeah. my goodness. So it was, it's Dokes. Wow. Let me, let me tell you the backstory behind it. Uh-huh. Uh, two years ago, he put so, he posted something on Facebook. He posted one of his beats on Facebook. And I said, when I start a podcast, I want that beat. Ooh. Um, and so when I began to uh, start this podcast, um, I, I went to uh, SoundCloud, found a beat. Mm-hmm. And he said, no, I, you know, you can't use this beat pro- probably because it wasn't ASCAP approved. Uh-huh. He said, I'll do another beat for you. And so he said, how long do you need? I, don't, I said, can you do it in two weeks? He was like, oh, yeah, 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 yeah. It'll be done in two weeks. And it was done in two, It was done within like a week. Wow. So shout out to Reggie Dokes. Shout out um, Reggie Dokes. Who is our brother. Right on. Um former choir member yeah uh yak forever all that yak good stuff forever. yeah yeah and uh he came through like man. you know family is not always blood so yeah absolutely and i missed that one man because i remember when he started posting hip-hop beats and and I, I actually just saw his recent post about the uh the project that he just dropped uh but i missed that one yes well, this particular beat has never been had never been on SoundCloud, SoundCloud or anything else. Right, I've heard it here. Right, so this is the one he he made specifically for the show. You got the um, exclusive. Yes, I got the exclusive, <laughs> and it's called Circles. Nice. So nice, and it nice. and it relates. If you go back to the wire, yeah, right, yeah, circles. Everything goes in a circle. Everything that happens in and around Detroit has happened before. Yeah. Um, and which is true. And. Yeah, yeah. So it fit perfectly. His title fit perfectly with what we were trying to do um, with this podcast. That's so, hot, man. So it's perfect. That's hot. So it's perfect. Shout out, Dokes. Yes. That's my man. Yeah, that's our guy. Yeah. Know. Thanks for so, having me, man. Of course, man. Of course. I mean, we. I couldn't have a podcast, you know, and not have you on. And, right on. Uh, you know. For full disclosure, we've been trying to get you here for what two, right, three right, months at right, this point, right? Right, and I and I've been kind of so, envious of the guests who's co- who've come on before me, man, because they they you've had some great conversations, man. Well, thank you. Yeah, thank so you. there's a lot for me to live up to. Well, thank you. <laughs> well, oh, come on. Yeah, your your work speaks for itself. So thank you, brother. Uh, thank you. Man. We will get into this conversation, but 
um, I know that that the work you have done and and will do, uh, it sort of speaks for itself. And and that was why, at least for me, um, I wanted to have you on this on this platform. Yeah. Um, yeah. So that um, I mean, people know who you are um, and people mm. know your work, but to be able to share it in an unfiltered way. Mm. Um, yeah. yeah. Um, and, and and this is what this podcast is really about. It's really about. Um, putting people on and talking about issues in an unfiltered way. Yeah. Um, working for a newspaper, you know, you talk to somebody for a half hour or forty-five minutes, and you use maybe one or two quotes, mm. and you write something that that kind of leads into the essence of what they were trying to say over the forty-five minute period that we're talking about. Mm-hmm. Um, but this is generally the conversations that we had over forty-five minutes. Yeah. Um, in an unfiltered kind of way, so people can kind of get what people are really saying. Awesome. Um, you know what they really want to convey. Full breath. To, the full breath. Yeah, yeah. In, in the public. So, so, so let, let's get down to it. Let's let's get to the. You know, let's get to it. So, I'm ready, brother. I'm ready. We're, we're going to talk a little bit about the uh, Comey Young Foundation today. Mm-hmm. So, um, tell us about the work you're doing with the Coleman Young Foundation and what it means for the legacy of Coleman Young. Wow. Um, you know, I've, I've been executive director for uh, seven years now. I came on board in 2012 and um, I was immediately impacted by not only the, the organization's mission, which is all about um, finding young Detroiters from Detroit schools and neighborhoods and helping them to access college and then successfully graduate only to bring their talents back to the city in some way. Um, I was, I was impacted by that because I learned that early on that Mayor Young's vision was to find young people who, uh, who connected to his own background. You know, there, there's some maybe little known history uh, about the mayor's uh, upbringing and background in terms of his educational path. You know, he, Never attended college, but he was accepted to the University of Michigan. Okay. And when the university learned that he was African-American, they pulled his acceptance. Mm. Um, what they missed out on was the fact that the man was scholarly, hilarious, and had a near photographic memory. So they let go of someone who was destined to be an amazing student. And from there, of course, he ended up uh, trekking a course through labor and progressive movements. He ended up blackballed after the McCarthy era. And the the infamous or famous House Un-American Activities Committee testimony in 1952 that le- that made him famous, but also left him uh, blacklisted and and unemployable for a long time. Ultimately, to go into politics and and become Detroit's first African American mayor. Well, he served uh, five terms, twenty years, and then in 1982, uh, he decided that he had wealth that he did not want to take with him, and this was. A piece that I don't recall ever ever receiving a lot of publicity. It was in the media, but you yeah. you really. But over time, I think it kind of got lost. Yeah, in, so into everything I, I, that was going on, because I believe it was what one point two million dollars. That it was, it was three. One point three million. It was, no, three it was three million. Okay, it was, it was roughly three yeah. million, and he right. he split it. Um, I, I guess the easiest ratio would be to say he kind of thirded it, even though you know. Okay. The the vast majority of it went to two places, the establishment of an endowed chair at Wayne State University, right. which exists today, and the endowment and establishment of Coleman A. Young Foundation, okay. which he put together with um, 
the the late great Walter Beckham and Lawrence Doss. Um, and 37 years later, we are here. Right. And and the mayor's charge to the foundation was that we one never be a political organization, but play a role in creating the next generations of thought leaders and and active leaders in Detroit's workforce. Okay. So we award scholarships to these young Detroiters, D. Um, we mentor them until they graduate college because most of them are in some way, you know, the cycle breakers in their neighborhoods or or their communities uh, or households. You know, maybe it's the kid who's 2.8 would have been a 3.8 if he or she didn't have to be the man or the woman of the house at the age of 14 and 15. You know, those kind of scenarios are the ones we seek out. And then we mentor them until they graduate from college. Um, we also help to develop them between the 6th and the 11th grade through our Real Skills Program. Okay. Um, and that's a youth development ang- uh, wing of the foundation that exposes them to uh, campus environments at young ages, but it also exposes them to uh, uh, decision-making opportunities. We deal with health, wellness, nutrition. Uh, we deal with uh, emerging economies and, and current economies in the city. Uh, so we we make sure that they get a chance to access tech companies and uh, and so on, uh, just to stimulate them and and give them an opportunity to envision and plan their their life after high school. Okay. Not all of those kids now I should say uh, go to college, um, and so our goal is not for every real skills uh, graduate to to make that leap, but we do intend for every real skills graduate to have. Uh, uh, just as fruitful a life okay. as the college-bound student. Right. Um, so maybe you are. The, remember how we grew up and, and you and I were on a college track, but we had homies who were going into the plants. Absolutely. And, and they were out-earning us, <laughs> you know, um, because while we were paying off student loans, they were working doubles and triples. Right. You know, uh, so we get that. Those, okay. those skill sets still yield uh, – Good pay, good jobs in this life. So we try to get those kids ready. Okay. So I was going to wait until later to ask this question, but mm-hmm. how fulfilling, given, you know, everything that you've done throughout mm-hmm. your career um, and being in hip hop and seeing the hip hop scene mm-hmm. and seeing um, all of the things that you have seen and done yeah. during your career, yeah. um, how fulfilling is the work that you've done with, with the Coma Young Foundation? That's the question my wife asked me the first three years on the job. And because she thought that I was not telling the truth when I would come home and say, I love this work. You know, I'm an artist, man. I, you know, I'm a, I'm a live performer. Um, I love doing that. I love the creative process and I always will. But um, to quote Wayne Dyer, there's a point in our life where we enter a meaning phase, you know, and most of us, it, for most of us, it hits when we, when we close up, when we close in our forties. You know, we get to that point where we're looking back at the young folks behind us, and we become moms and dads, and we find ourselves suddenly more concerned with their success than our own. And Coleman A Young Foundation presented me that opportunity to make my occupation other people's success. Sure, you know, make absolutely. other people's success my occupation. Sure. Uh, young people particularly, and and I quickly learned within my first two years on the job that it, it was an untapped passion point for me. Um, and and then not long after that, I became a dad for the first time myself. You know, I'm 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 an older father of a younger son, 
So suddenly I got a chance to pour into the youth that the foundation serves 40 hours a week or, or more um, and then come home and pour into this young man. And I get just as much fulfillment from doing that mission work as I get from performing. And then the sweet spot, man, is that now that my son is five and he's starting to pick up and develop his own habits and interests and things, he's he's now letting mom and dad know he likes music too. Right. He likes art and creativity right. as well. Right. So I throw on the Hamilton soundtrack and he knows five songs by heart. So I'm back to emceeing with him, you know, and, and now he's talking about, Dad, you know, can I make music with you? Because he knows Black Bottom Collector's music. Sure. Um, so it's it's really a really nice full circle experience for me personally, um, which means the foundation benefits because I never turn off. I'm always thinking about what to do next, sure. which means I'm not bound psychologically by the nine to five concept. I'm always working on behalf of the foundation, governing myself accordingly, making sure that, that, that my staff is just as passionate, you know, doing what I can to support them. Um, so everybody wins, in my opinion. Right. And, and full disclosure, the the passion for kids is nothing but your mom. Absolutely. Yeah. You know, that's yeah. mom. Yes, right? mom. Because, Marv that's, Turner, because, shout out. because yeah. that's what mom did for, you know, 40 plus years. Exactly. Um, not only um, with the school system and, and being a teacher, but also, you know, with the scholarship committee at Fellowship Chapel and, yeah. and all of the things. So, yeah. so you're a you're an artist, but you still have parts of what your gene pool yeah. pulled in. So, yeah. so, so I don't find it to be um, odd <laughs> that that you are in that space, yeah. even though um, we all are kind of in our own spaces, yeah. if that makes sense. But we all sort of have passion for for people, yeah. um, and we have passion for for young people too. But that, that, that also is a part of our upbringing as well. Well, isn't it funny how? Our parents' lives inform what we do. You know, oh. that's nothing new, of course, but, you know, you, you're living it, you know, and, and you, you, you mentioned my mom, but the conversation growing up in my house, man, was, was from my mom's side, the stressors on, it involved the stress on education and the emphasis there. But then my, my father was a homicide detective. And I used to tease my parents and call them Lady and the Tramp because of their occupations. You know, mm-hmm. my my mom was dealing with development of young people and my dad was dealing with the end of life Absolutely. as an occupation. So imagine the contrast in those conversations. Sure. You know? Sure. Um, mom's exposing me to these possibilities academically and dad's bringing home his his training manual yeah. and purposefully leaving it on the table so I can flip through the pictures. Yeah. <laughs> you know? And they come to him with those conversations. So... I'm looking at things that I definitely want to avoid in my life, you know, and, and that was important, man, because, you know, I, I, you know, we all grew up in Detroit, you know, and, and that that contrast. Detroit made in the 80s. Detroit in the 80s. Right. Be very clear. Yeah, Detroit yeah. in the 80s. Right. Which was the first time that that all those elements were all over the city. Right. You know, so you didn't have to go more than a couple blocks to get involved in some nonsense. Um and and that helped me, man. It, it helped me to direct my path. And and you're right, man. You know, I, I give all credit to my parents, Ron and Marva Turner, for for uh, influencing me yeah. in that way. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and so let's let's kind of get back to to what we you know um, we're here about. Let's let's talk yes, about um, 
of the latest project that you're doing mm-hmm. that's going on to raise funding for the foundation. Yeah. And what um, it kind of means. I'm excited, man. We've been working uh, the last two years actually to reintroduce CAFE. You know, like, like Jay says, allow me to reintroduce myself. Um, we've been, we've been wanting to reintroduce the organization to a younger, uh, young professional and, and demographic of children. Uh, not calling the young professionals children. I'm saying them and, and children. Um, so after doing that for a couple of years, we, we started a dialogue with the Kellogg Foundation a year ago, uh, this month. And that has resulted in, uh, a, a multi-year grant, which is supporting, uh, I may have to describe this and then break it down, but it's a philanthropic effort designed to benefit young people. And, and we want to, we want to create philanthropists of color for the next generation in a way that also helps them to develop and prepare themselves for college success and life success. So what we're doing is is by working with Kellogg Foundation, they have empowered Coleman and Young Foundation to create a mini granting program that positions young people to become problem solvers in their own neighborhood. Meanwhile, you know, we're doing this through the through the context of real skills, our youth development program. So in a development, in a development capacity, they're gaining a skill, they're they're discovering the value of uh philanthropy and giving and sowing seeds at a very young age. They're gaining uh experience that can go on resumes, but they're also problem solving in their communities. You know, if there's a child, for example, who who has a a an attendance issue because uh, he's experienced or she's experiencing safe passage concerns. You know, you can't walk to school because it's too dangerous to to walk a certain route to school. We want to sit down with that young person and find out what they think would help them to circumvent that issue or even solve that issue. They may tell us that if they had bus passes for every day, you know, that might help. Well, boom, right away. We can work with with them in partnership with the school, identify many other kids who have that same issue, and then empower that young person and help that person to administer a bus program, uh, a pass program. Um, and I'm brainstorming here, you know, so we have to get in the weeds and find out what the real issues are. But we're going to be focusing on that over the next uh, three years and, and uh, empowering the young brothers and sisters in real skills to do that work. Okay. Um, and and our, I should mention that in this program, our kids come from all over the city. So you may have a problem that's specific to Southwest or, or specific to the West side of town or the East side of town. Um, and we're in a position to help you solve it, you know, or at least think critically about solving it, you know? So I'm really excited about, about um, that program. Uh, right. And, and we're going to, Start the planning on that right now. Okay. We're starting the planning right now and the implementation process, and and we should be making some formal announcements to the communities in the months to come. Okay. And then I saw on Twitter this morning you all celebrated Coleman's 101st. Isn't that something? Birthday. He was been. it yesterday? It was yesterday at our president, uh, Marvin Beatty's home. Marvin okay. and Maxine okay. Beatty. And, and so here, here's the cool thing that I, that I got to mention, man. This is a yard party. It rained from 3 o'clock until 1 o'clock in the morning yesterday. This party was packed. (laughs) These folks came to the the fair, man, to celebrate uh, 
this man's 101st birthday, which was actually May 24th. We okay. always celebrated in the fall every year. Okay. And they showed up in droves. And, and we always just make it a very casual after work gathering of individuals who either worked uh, for the young administration and, and carry on the mayor's legacy or people who believe and invest in the foundation's mission. Um, and they all come together. And and this year we added some twists, man. We we did a partnership recently with an apparel company, the Filthy Americans. If you've seen the What Up Do T-shirts around the city of Detroit that yes. are real popular. Yes. We hooked up with those brothers, man. Shout out to Filthy Rockwell and Will Smith, his partner, his manager. Um, Filthy, uh, I won't give his real name. I'll stick to his artist name, MC to MC, respect. Um, he's He's an amazing artist and designer. And he was smart enough to come up with that what up though line and then trademark what up though. Right. Why didn't anybody ever think of that? <laughs> I have been thinking about it. I just never <laughs> he beat you done to it. it. Right. He, he beat, you beat to me it. to it. <laughs> you got it, man. And I was thinking about it over 10, 12 years ago. Yep. But I obviously, you know, with everything that I was doing, I, you know, man, it was a, it was thought passing in my mind and it never, you know, D. He locked Th- then I went back to work in City Hall. <laughs> yeah. You you know how that goes. Yeah. You know what I mean. Yeah, he, he locked it down, man. Yeah, so um that's... and and let me the, the full context is is remember I mentioned one of the objectives uh is for us to reintroduce the foundation. Right. So we learned through one of my board members, Adrian Tano, um, who's who's a, a member of the young administration and and he's working to uh rebuild Detroit's entertainment community in the city, that the Filthy Americans were planning to introduce a Coleman Young line, an apparel line. Their whole, their whole mission is to dedicate their clothing to those Americans who rolled up their sleeves and got filthy building the country, uh, and in some cases enriching others. You know, uh, so it turns out that that they have a strong uh, civic sensibility, and they were willing to create this line and donate proceeds. To Coleman A. Young Foundation. Wow. Okay. Yeah, so we were we we're really excited, man. So we we quickly met with them, ratified a partnership, um, started getting started getting to know each other, and and we've been diligent about that. And they're going to be opening up a storefront in the new center area. Okay. Uh, in October, and the line will be the apparel line will be available there and online. So if you imagine the impact, you you saw my post with the Coleman Young. Uh, image with the 20 years, the famous 20 years yes. sign behind him, and then a, a famous quote from the mayor, you know, breaking down the, the importance of or the, the art behind cursing. Right. <laughs> you know, um, on the back of the T, because that was Mayor Young. Yes. You know? To so, say the least. To say the least. And he, I was, I got some of the back end of it too, ooh, as a reporter. Did you? So, you know, <laughs> I was a baby, uh-huh. but I got a little bit of it. I didn't get, I didn't get the full Coleman Young. Scholarly man but, with a but sharp I, tongue. But man. I got, I got a little bit of it. Yeah. You know, it, it was, it's amazing. So, you know, we, we were happy because this line appeals to three generations at once. Mayor Young's administration, me and yours, and then the young cats coming behind us, you know. And that's what we try to do with all of our messages. You know, Mayor Young has that kind of appeal. He's got multi-generational impact still, um, whether you liked him or did not like him. We right. still talk about him, and he's been gone for more than two decades. Right. So 
Um, yeah, we introduced that line, and and it was it was a, just a nice night, man. We okay. turned the rain into sunshine. That's good. That's yeah. good. And so you you led me right into the segue of what I wanted to talk about. We want to talk, I want to talk a little bit about Coleman himself, right? Yeah. Okay. It's been gone twenty two years, as, as you have mentioned, mm-hmm. and obviously he was Detroit's ultimate and beloved mayor by some. Mm-hmm. Um, but a polarizing figure by others. Let's sure. be clear about that. Sure. But he also was never anyone to shy away from the issues of the day. Mm-hmm. So my question is, given everything that is going on in the world today, mm-hmm. what would Coleman be saying about the Black Lives Matter movement, meaning young African-American males that are getting killed by the police. Mm. Um, what would he be saying about President Donald Trump right now, mm. given that he called Ronald Reagan prune face mm-hmm. um, back in his day? Mm-hmm. Um, he probably would have called Trump worse. That's fair. <laughs> yeah. Um, but to also put it in full perspective, he also brought the RNC convention to Detroit in mm-hmm. 1980, yeah. I believe. And so what do you think – I think I have a sense of where Coleman would be. Sure. But but, but he was also layered. Y- yes. Mm-hmm. And so understanding his layers, what do you think he would be doing and saying at in this era and what is going – in all the things that are going on? Mm. Well, I, I could only guess that his bird's eye view and opinion would be focused on the good of the people. Uh, and the good of the people's livelihood or its economy. So he would have embraced the Black Lives Matter movement, at least the the at, le- at least the the ones who are at the forefront of that movement. You know, the organizers, the the leaders. He certainly would have denounced the violence uh, against uh, against uh, uh, people of African descent in this country, people of color in many cases, um, which speaks to another. Uh, lightly acknowledged fact about the mayor. He was pro-black and pro-Detroit. You know, remember, we're talking about the only mayor in the last century, actually the only mayor in the city's history, who intentionally made sure that his administration, down to his security detail, was racially diverse and even. Sure. Black, white, woman, and and, and other people of color as well. Uh, And they're individuals who are still employed in the city. You know, because he did that. Yes. Um, so I think his concern would have been on on the safety and security of African-Americans because we are the ones who are most adversely affected. Um, most recently, the incident j- that just happened here in Royal Oak. Yes. Became, become, comes to mind. But then he would also be concerned about violence against against uh, innocent people in general. And, and I, I believe he would have given lip service to that as the issue. Everybody's fundamental human right to live peacefully wherever they are, as long as they're honorable and law abiding. Um, I think, I think his, I think many people would probably rally behind his opinion on president Trump. Um, Mayor Young certainly would not have stood for or stood by and watched this administration without being vocally and vehemently opposed to it. But 
I think he also would have been fair. I mean, remember, this This is a man who, when he passed away, they say nobody cried harder than Governor Milliken. Sure. You know, he had friends on the other side of the aisle. Um, uh, uh, I'm forgetting the, the, the gentleman's name. Uh, uh, it'll, it'll come back to me. It's just 48-year-old brain freeze. But he had friends on the other side of the aisle. Sure. Um, and that's an important thing to note because he, he wouldn't dislike anybody just because you're a Republican. It's all about what you represent and right. what you stand yeah, for. Absolutely. Um, so if you didn't stand for people, fairness and humanity, and then if you didn't stand for those rights that were specific to the people of Detroit that were critical to our needs, you stood on his wrong side. Right. Yeah. And, and on a similar note, my next question kind of deals with some of the present day, but what is happening in the city itself? Mm-hmm. Um, in keeping it in, in per- proper context, mm-hmm. Coleman Young is, was always pro-development. I mean, mm-hmm. yeah. Cobo got an expansion under his watch. Mm-hmm. Um, the People Mover was built under his watch. Under his watch, yeah. Um, the Renaissance Joe Center. Joe Louis Arena. Joe yeah. Louis Arena. The, you know. Uh, Fox Renovation. The Renaissance Center was built under his yep, under Renaissance. his watch. Absolutely. And so he was very pro-development, mm-hmm. but he also was about inclusion of Absolutely. uh people of color Absolutely. getting a piece of what was what is going on. Absolutely. Um and while he was working on uh the things that were going on downtown, he was very concerned about what was going on in the neighborhoods mm-hmm. as well. Yep. And so not to say that nothing is going on in in Detroit's neighborhoods because Mm -hmm. there are. Mm -hmm. But there is that criticism in this era right now that enough is not going on Mm -hmm. um, in the city of Detroit, uh, in in its neighborhoods for the vast majority of the people who live Mm -hmm. in the city itself. And so how would he convey and champion um, those who – are the most in need and while also championing make and making sure that um, people of color had a piece of, and women had a piece in the development process that's going on right now. Um, I, I think he would, I think he would say if you don't have black and brown voices in the planning process before the work begins, you're not doing enough. If you're your city the, when you build in a city, develop anything in a city, um, that growth, the the minds behind that growth should reflect the people in the city. So where are they? I think that's the question he would ask. Um, I don't think his questions would start by driving through downtown and saying, where are the black people? He would have started at the meetings behind the meetings and asked, where are where are people of color in this planning process? Where are their ideas? Uh, and how do you think you're going to speak to their ideas without them being a part of the conversation? Um, I love I love Tanya Allen's quote, uh, uh, Skillman Foundation's sure. Tanya Allen. Yes. When she says that uh, diversity is when you count everybody, but inclusion and equity is when everybody counts. Um and and I think that's I think all of Mayor Young's questions would have pointed toward equity and inclusion from the beginning of those processes, which means maybe those 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 opportunities 
passed 15 to 20 years ago when those city plans forecasted what was going to happen in what was then the Cass Corridor and Grandmont and, and all those areas, uh, the Livernois Corridor, where you now see development taking place. Because that stuff doesn't happen overnight, overnight. Or over the course of, of a few years. That happened. Those conversations started administrations ago. You know, so um, I think that's where he would have asked those questions. You know, why weren't they at, why weren't they, you know, present when this thing was conceived, this idea sure. of this Detroit? Sure. I mean, and I mean, I mean, 22 years later, we're still talking about. Yeah. Coleman Young, you know, yeah. and, and that's that's what I find to be very interesting about all of mm-hmm. all of this. Yeah. And so his legacy is lasting. Talk a little bit about about that. I mean, because he is. For some Detroiters, um, you know how people's houses had the pictures of Martin Luther King mm-hmm. in their houses. Mm-hmm. Coleman Young is still that Absolutely. figure that that deals with uh, Detroit. I mean, you're, yeah. you're you're still talking about a man who, you know, as of two weeks ago, was mentioned in L. Brooks Patterson's death, mm-hmm. right? Yes. And so he still is that figure that hangs over Detroit. Yeah. Um, so, so talk a little bit about that because you know there are probably a couple of things we could we could think about here, man. You know, he represented the spirit of this city like nobody. I love when when I'm out and I get stopped by people who aren't black who tell me stories about the mayor's interactions with their family. I got stopped last week uh, at at the nighttime bazaar that we are culture creators uh, put on, and it was over at the Fourth Street Galley. Uh, a young Asian cat, just a little bit younger than me, stopped me and told me a conversation about the time Mayor Young came to Southwest, sat with his dad, and spent an hour trying to convince his dad not to move out of the city. That's who that man was. You know, when the Dodge Main plant was built and the whole rage debate over eminent domain was going on and, and the, the city was trying to clear that space to make room for the Dodge Main plant, there was one individual who refused to leave. There was that infamous story about the guy who sat right. on his porch with the shotgun. Mary Young cleared his afternoon schedule. His One of his uh, appointees tells the story. Cleared his afternoon schedule, went and sat with this guy for three hours. They connected because they were both from Alabama. And they had a conversation. And at the end of the conversation, the man agreed to move. And, and the city agreed to help him. So, I mean, those kinds of leaders are rare because they, they focus on the needs and the good of the people um, before the bureaucracy and, and the political red tape. You know, and I think that's why he resonates. You know, so that's one thing I would say. You know, he, he represented the people because he was of the people. Um, but also the times keep him relevant, you know. As, you know, you know how we all, you know, we talk about how, man, the, the things that, that make people talk about us is the fact that they remember how much we care and the fact that we care in a way that causes us to become a barometer for the future. Mayor Young is a barometer. He, he became a barometer at the time of his death for the future, which is now. <laughs> the future is now. We're now asking, what would he say? about Detroit today, Detroit neighborhoods and schools today. Um, and what would he say about Detroit leadership today? Uh, and it's because he led with his heart. And we yearn for that kind of leadership in a city like Detroit that still remains gritty, remains blue collar, respects the individual who 
rolls up his or her sleeves and works hard more than anyone else um, and, and builds family and community, you know, and leads from the inside and leads from inside the community out as opposed to looking down or into the community from some kind of perimeter. Okay. I think that's where that's where he would have landed. Okay. Mm-hmm. And so for you who's representing the Comey Young Foundation all the time, how mm-hmm. much weight is on you in conveying those messages, conveying the complexity of and the layers of Comey Young um not only to the young folks that you deal with on a daily basis, yeah. but out in the community as well. You know what? There's a weight. There's a weight. Um, I don't know if I feel it as much because I, I, I believe that you don't use all your strength until you ask for help anyway. So I have no problem breaking off a phone call if I have a, a question that I don't know the answer to, you know. Hey, Mr. Beatty, you know, Marvin Beatty is our board president. I, hey, Mr. Beatty, you know, I, I'm thinking about this. What do you think? I do that all the time, um, not just to Mr. Beatty, but uh, our board consists uh, about about a two-thirds of our board consists of individuals who either worked for the young administration or were employed by the mayor. And they are, for me, living history lessons. So I will spend time on the phone talking with them and asking them questions. And fortunately, uh, my personal luxury, man, is that I have I can pick my poison. You know, if I have a legal question and I want to make sure that I'm governing myself accordingly, you know, from a legal standpoint, I call Gary Carley. You know, if if I have a, a if I have a question about aesthetic value, I need to call, I need to talk to Julieta Cotiebo, you know. If I have a leadership question, all right, I need to talk to Mr. Beatty. Um, I don't do this by myself, D. Sure. I, and, and I don't want to because I am in charge of a weighted history, a layered history. So I need I need to be able to speak to people from a really genuine spot. And, and I can't front. There are too many smart people in the city. I can't sit in front of Shahida Mausi and and front as though I know the answer to a question because this is the woman who organized the visit of Nelson Mandela to Tiger Stadium. She organized that event and now her family runs the Aretha Franklin Amphitheater. Oh man, she's got generations of knowledge (laughs) under her and wisdom and and insight. Uh, So I, I don't allow myself uh, to to get haughty or egotistical, um, which is probably a blessing in itself, uh, because I I'm not a fan of egotistical leadership anyway, so I don't want to be that, and and that's how I manage the pressure. Yeah. Okay. And um, as we sort of wrap up, give me your final. Already? Well, I, I mean, is there what else you want to talk about? You want I don't, to talk? I don't get to name my top five or something. <laughs> you, can, you can name your okay. You can name your top, name, name your top five. No, no, but, artists. We'll, we'll get to that. I, I want to hear your question because you, man, you're asking me some, ooh, some some heavy ones. Hey, I mean, this is what this is what we do. Dog, all right. You know, this is what we do. You know, I I really just wanted to sort of uh, wrap up, but but mm. since you do some of these other things, yeah, yeah, uh, talk about. Being in the artist world and and the things that you're doing and and if there are any projects coming down the line ah okay um and and then since you since you threw it out there 
give me your top five hip hop artists. <laughs> since, since you just threw it out All there, right, so I mean, let, so let, let me segue by saying, um, um, I don't have any immediate personal projects coming up. Okay, my wife and I, since Black Bottom Collective slowed down, um, we never broke up. Right. We just we just slowed down. Cat started families and businesses, and our our behind the music would be very boring. Yes, you know. No, it, actually, it, my my DJ Carl Olier is like. Oh, Carl is everywhere. All over. He's all over the world. You've been seeing his posts, right? Yes. Oh, yes. Man, he's like doing like music education in Thailand. Yeah. And oh, man, he's yeah. I, he, I don't know if he likes his nickname. I've always called him Forrest Bump. Okay. Because he's always happy, always funny, right. and always doing something new. Yes. And it's always whatever he does is just fly, man. And then yes. this cat's life is is he told me and my wife once that, that the secret of life is fun. Yes. And we looked at him. We were grinding. We were like, really, man? What's your plan B? He was like, fun. Fun. Right. He, Carl, you are right. I'm like, yeah. he, he, yo, you're right. I was wrong. He's doing his thing, and I'm proud of him. Um, on the foundation front, though, I've been able to kind of blend my my my, my footprints. And, and I got to give a shout-out here to John Polachicchio. He's the uh, senior VP of marketing at, at Motor City, and he's one of our trustees. He's made it possible, man, for the last, going into the second year now, for the foundation to to put on a benefit concert at Soundboard in Motor City. And and we try to bring in talent that some way reflects the mayor. Last year, uh, we brought in D.L. Hughley. Smart, funny, sharp tongue, right. sharp wit. Yes. That was that was Mayor Young across the board. And he he would he put on a dynamite show. Um and even was able to talk about Mayor Young backstage after the show it, in, in detail, you know, so it was cool. Um this year we're switching, and on December fifteenth we're bringing Will Downey. Okay. And and Eric Robeson is going to be his special guest. So okay. It's okay. going to be a hot show, man. Yeah. I, I just want to encourage folks to you come know. on out. Um. I mean, come on. The, the smooth voice of Will Downey. Come right. On. Right. Right. The, the smooth baritone <laughs> right, voice right. of Will Downey. I go crazy. I mean, right. that's yeah. that's going to be a hot night, man. And and what what better way to ease into the holidays, you know, than to spend a a cool night, uh, inviting everybody out and just celebrating the year that we've made it through. You know, right? All the stuff we've had to endure. You know, let's end it on on a on a sound note. Um, so that's that's what we're doing, man. And and uh, and I'm real thankful for all of our partners, man, in the community who have helped to bring these things to the fore. Okay, make them real. Um, my wife and I are, are writing. Okay. We're creating a project. You Good. know, I'm pushing pushing Tunisia to put her. Songwriting, okay. Songwriting chops on paper. Okay. You know, she's always right. been my muse personally, but uh, I'm like, nah, let's let's make this family business and and pull her and Max into it, my son. Uh, so I, I'm not done being creative myself. Um, so it's it's an exciting time, man. Right, of course, it always. You know, I mean, I got my OG artist hat I and mean, leader hat on. I mean, life when it changes doesn't have to change who you are. Exactly, but it also changes. Um, what life is about, yeah. right? Yeah. And so yeah. you look at it from a completely different perspective. Yeah. It doesn't change that you st- still love hip hop. Yeah. It doesn't change, in my case, that you still love basketball. Mm-hmm. It just means I can't play anymore. Exactly. Right? Exactly. It means, well, it means I shouldn't play anymore. Yes. You know? Yeah, shouldn't. <laughs> you, you, you know what I mean? Yeah. It might not be the smartest thing to do at 48, 49 yeah. years old, right? But you yeah. know, I mean, that is what life is about. 
You know Speaking I mean? of which, man, what, what do you think about Team USA this year in the Worlds? Oh, wow. Well, the the biggest thing about Team USA and is is that they do not um, have the best pros that are there. Mm, um, mm-hmm. They put together a team and 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 suddenly all of them started dropping off. Yeah. So you got Kimball Walker and several other players that are that are on this team. Mm-hmm. Um, but you've got you know Giannis, you know playing for the Greek team, right? Yeah. And you've got other pros. You got Patty Mills that played for the Australian team. Gobert. Um, yeah. French. Yeah. Yeah. Rudy Gobert. Yeah. Right. Um, and you know, four years earlier, you would have had uh, uh, Tony Parker, right? Mm-hmm. And so the landscape has sort of changed. And so, but the money has changed too. And so, no one can change. No one the 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 big stars that are making fifty and seventy five million dollars, oh. they don't want to risk right. losing right. seventy five, fifty, a hundred million dollars. They don't want to be like. Uh, DeMarcus Cousins, where yeah. he tore his Achilles in New Orleans mm-hmm. and he lost out on $220 million as an, as a result. Or KD. And, and, and then, and then he gets hurt, you know, in, uh, Golden State at the end of the year. Mm-hmm. And now he can't sign as a free agent and he's signing on the free agent, meaning DeMarcus Cousins signing on the free agent market mm-hmm. for another one year deal to prove that he can be a player. And then he gets hurt again. Again. Right. Yeah. And so when players see that, when players saw what happened with Paul George, mm-hmm. it kind of made them back off. Yeah. And so I th- personally, I think our basketball approach has to change. So if you took. Um, and it doesn't have to be um, it, it doesn't necessarily have to be uh, Golden State. You could take five players from the Pistons mm. or you could take the five players from Milwaukee or you can take uh that's interesting five players from Philadelphia where they have chemistry yeah 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 and then add so you're bringing in units you're bringing in pre-assembled units, teams pre-assembled teams and then you add the pieces that that they are missing um huh. that to me would be a more sound approach to to what they are doing. That's smart. And maybe you'll lose one or two of the stars mm-hmm. off of maybe you don't get um Joel Embiid, right. you know, right. because he might not want to play, uh-huh. but then you come in and you add another big fella to that. Yeah. To yeah. that group. So mm-hmm. you replace him with another, you know, Andre yeah, you, Drummond. you you replace him with maybe Andre yeah. Drummond, but he's going into a contract year, so he doesn't right, want, right, right, right. So he doesn't want to play. Right? <laughs> right. So you know, so everybody's agents are getting involved, yeah. right? And so, so that to me doesn't mean that you don't have to have pros. Mm-hmm. It means that you have to change your approach and how you, um, how you utilize yep. pros, and yeah. then adding the pieces with it to to put a, um team that has chemistry together mm-hmm. um because th- the issue is you're talking about a greek team of a, a team in france you know you're, you're talking about people who are representing their countries and they've played for four and five and six and seven years together wow. mm-hmm. right and we're trying to put and meaning the united states is trying to put together a team in three months yeah 
And because we think we have the best players yeah. believing that we're going to win. Right. When I think we have to sort of change our approach. Yeah. So that's a great idea. Has that been discussed? I don't know if it has, it has been discussed. I don't claim to be the smartest basketball player in the room, but you're the first cat I heard, but make that suggestion. That would be my suggestion yeah. to uh, fixing that That's smart. problem. That's smart. Um, and putting their coaching staff and having their coaching staff mm-hmm. involved mm-hmm. so that, and they already know their system. They know mm-hmm. their defensive system. Yeah. They know their offensive scheme. Yeah. And so all you have to do is teach the other guys mm-hmm. what you all are doing because most of the NBA plays are pretty much the same. Yeah. You know what I mean? And yeah. so it's it's a really, a, to me, a matter of getting people that have that chemistry mm. um, together, even if it was even if it was Duke mm. last year with with Andre Barrett and Zion Williamson and all of those guys with Duke and you uh-huh. and you take them and then you add, you know, some you add maybe a Joel Embiid or you add, you know, another piece to that. It doesn't necessarily have to be they are pro caliber players. Yeah. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. But they are pro caliber players that have chemistry together. Uh, and then you add pieces with them is mm. sort of my point. So that's hot. Um, That's a great idea. That, that is that is my basketball point of the day. <laughs> right, um, right. <laughs> you know, you've heard the basketball point of the day from from Darren Nichols, son of Charles Nichols, who you know was a longtime basketball coach. And uh-huh. for those who do not know, made Dick Vitale's career. There you go. Um, by and school and, and, and speaking of Coleman Young, the reason why he was able to build his team. Or or build uh, Dick Vitale's career is because my dad was hired in 1973, mm-hmm. uh, the year that Coleman took over. And so when he was hired, there was a synergy around Detroit. Ah. Um, and so why he was able to get all he brought in, um, th- he brought in three other players and his All American from Kettering. Mm. Um, but it also was the time period upon which. He brought them in. He brought them in in 1973. And so when you bring them in in 1973, in September of 1973, and in November of 1973 uh-huh. was when Coleman was elected, yeah. there is this synergy around Detroit that we are going to take care of our own. Right. So right. when Coleman Young is in his, you know, in his inaugural speech and he's talking about you know, all the thugs and mm-hmm. looters hit Eight Mile Road. He wasn't talking about non-people of color to hit Eight not. Mile Road, right. which he's been uh, very um, misquoted and, yeah. and, and misunderstood about that. Mm-hmm. But it also brought a synergy around uh, the city of Detroit. So, I, so my contention um, is that he was able to, meaning my dad as the recruiter of of those players, mm-hmm. was able to get them to come to the University of Detroit because of the times. Uh, I don't think it had anything to do with basketball. Those guys could go anywhere in America. Uh-huh. But my dad sold them on if anybody's gonna take care of Detroit, we're gonna we're gonna take care of Detroit. Absolutely. And so I think it was a, a product of the times as mm. well. And so, you know. That's hot, man. You know, I love, I love, I love our history in this city. Oh, absolutely. You know, and 
I mean, for me, it's it's really sort of um, now from our forty eight year old minds, yeah. really being able to to analyze it, right? So we lived it when we were in the seventies and eighties, and now we can come back and sort of analyze and mm-hmm. understand, yeah, fully understand what was going on in the city, yeah, you know, yeah, that's dope. Yeah. I get to do my top five still? Oh, yeah. You can do your top five. <laughs> definitely definitely do your top five. I All mean, right. come on. So, this, I, I, you know, I've wanted to do this, man. Cause, uh, okay. So what, what are we looking at now? 37 years of hip-hop? Absolutely. And, yeah. All right. So my top five, first of all, is based on impact on the culture. Okay. Because yeah. we, we, could, we could do a top five from different eras, right? Yeah. So Different eras um, and different genres, different everything. Yep. Yeah, yeah. Right? So impact on the culture. So, um. And, and then some, some, some of my top five are just in, MCs I like, my favorites. So my first is Rakim. Okay. He changed the way everybody rhymes. Yes. Flat out. Um, Jay-Z. Okay. Because he changed everybody's vision, you know, in terms of what we could do yeah. with the culture. Um, Royce the 5'9". Royce to me, Royce to me uh, is is the epitome of what happens when you persevere, mm-hmm. because he went through so many career changes, personal life changes, and and never lost, never lost his stamina. Right, you know, stayed consistent, stayed productive. I'm the flyest backpack, yeah, hip hop artist ever. Yeah, yeah, you know. At one point was almost, you know, ridden off blacklisted, but fought his way back right. in yeah. the favor. So I, I have to respect that. Um, Queen Latifah. Okay. Queen Latifah, I will say, was not the dopest MC, but she reminds me of Jay. Okay. Because of what she did with her career. Okay. Um, and Andre 3000. Okay. Okay. To me, Andre, Andre 3000 is uh, not the most prolific cat. He records when he wants to. You can go years without hearing him, but you have never heard a whack lyric come out of his mouth, and you've never heard him sound like anybody else. Okay, okay. Um, and then my my honorable mention, not my top five, but my honorable mention is Fonte from Little Brother. Okay, all right, okay. Because he's another cat who just never no black thought. <sighs> See, here we go. Um, Talib Kweli. Talib's not in my top okay. five. Okay, I mean, man. I'm not. I'm just throwing. I'm just throwing out other black. Black thought could black. bump Latifah. Okay, I mean that's he fair. could. He could, okay. but but women need to be in that mix. No, no yeah, doubt. Yeah, no yeah, doubt. Yeah. I, under, I understood where you were going with that. Because if I, I really want to get real with women, I could say Shy Rock. Okay, from, you yeah. know from the Funky Four Plus One More. Everybody yeah. got. Yeah, absolutely. You know, for for the first twenty years of hip hop, you know, at least. All women MCs got their style from Shah Rock, whether they know it or not. not yeah. You know, but yeah, no, no, no. If I had a top six, I would. I no, would, I, I mean, I got to keep Latifah out of yeah, respect. Yeah, man. out I mean, of respect. You, yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah. I'm, I'm just throwing other names out there. Yeah, yeah. You made me think about that freestyle that Black Thought spit on Sway in the Morning last year. That yeah. Was just like, oh, that was dope. You heard that it, was, right? Oh, yeah, that was dope. Oh my, that was goodness, dope. dude. That was dope. Ah. I ain't heard nothing like it before. 10, 12 since. minutes off the dome. Off the dome. You know what I mean? Like. Mad. Right. Yeah. Mad with it. Just, ah, yeah. uh, that was wicked. Yeah. That was wicked. Right. Google right. that, everybody. 
Yes, yes. Go on YouTube. Go on look, YouTube. Look, that up. look go, that up. Go to go to YouTube, and that'll be the best twelve minutes, <laughs> twelve thirteen minutes of your life. Thank us later. Yes, <laughs> yes. And so, um, as we wrap up, yeah. This has a, been man. This has been fun. Oh, of course, it, yeah, it yeah. always is, and it, and we always veer away from. I know. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> what we're here for yeah yes right yeah we, we but, don't stay on but, task but that's what that's what we do right. um for those who don't know uh me and curry turner we go back to the third grade right um shout out go lightly shout out go lightly and i was just there second with, remember i got kicked out yes second <laughs> yes that is true <laughs> and uh i was just i was i just had a dinner with uh miss hewitt um really on monday um of this week shout out go lightly and i talked about um, the, I was with Penny Baylor last night. Oh wow! Yeah. See, and Renee. Oh yes. right, she's right. a board member now. Yes, yes, I did yeah. see that. And I was talking about um, the history of Go Lightly, and so they asked someone to speak, and I talked about as the elder statesman yeah. of Go Lightly because most of them were um, there were teachers and students, but I I was the only one at the group who was there when um, Go Lightly started, and so wow. so so uh, Dr. Vitti posted a picture of the Edmondson uh, sign because they're starting the new Montessori school over there. And so I, I retweeted it, but I talked about um, the legacy that was built when Golightly was started in 1976. And what most people don't understand is that it was a partnership between the Detroit Public Schools and Wayne State University because Ed Simpkins um, was the dean of education uh, at Wayne State University at the time, and he had a child um, that was our age, that mm. was in at at the, at the kindergarten level. Okay, and so what he what he did ultimately was that he partnered with the Detroit Public Schools because he wanted a school that was for his daughter to go to. Hmm. So he started. So they that's how they started Go Lightly. Wow. Um, and so as a result. Um, and I and I talked about how, you know, now 41 years later and all of the turmoil and all of the things that have gone on with the school, Golightly has stood the test of still time. Standing. And it's still standing. And so um, so, so shout out to Golightly. Yeah, absolutely. Um, because, you know, you can say what you want about a lot of schools. But, you know, when Darren Nichols and Stephen Henderson and Kari Turner are all being taught and in the same classroom mm-hmm. uh, in one elementary school yeah. talking and you're talking about um, the low numbers of African-American men that are in the world of journalism Yeah, um, to have three that come out of the same classroom says a lot wow. about what was being taught within the Detroit public schools. Wow. And that is a story that people have never uh, really talked about. Yeah. Um, and so, Stephen Henderson's a board member, man. It's such a small world. Yeah, absolutely. And, and the, the, the paths. That's a whole nother conversation, man. Yes. Just the paths we, I, I, I know we're running out of time, but just the, the, the paths we put our children on, you know, when yeah. we're intentional about it. Yeah. That's, wow. Uh, yeah, you got me on that one, man. I'm humble. Okay. Hey, <laughs> it's all good. So yeah. give us, give us before we go. Give us your final thoughts on, you know, all the stuff that we talked about today and uh, and all that good stuff. Um, I, 
I think the best thing that I can do is quote Dr. Mona Hanna-Atisha. I'm, I'm reading her book, What the Eyes Don't See, and I'm currently riveted, and, and I posted this uh, the other day um, because I, I think my, my chief concern these days are children. I actually may not be able to pull this up. I'm, I'm getting a slow signal. But um, my final thought is just about the welfare of our children, man. You know, I mean, most of us are in positions now where if we take our last breath today, we've done a lot of what we're going to do. You know, I, I think cats like you and me, Stephen, Renee, uh, my wife, we can't complain about too much if, if that were our fate. You right. Know? But our children have their whole lives ahead of them. And um, Dr. Atisha wrote this in her book. A child's neuroendocrine genetic f- physiology can be altered. Prolonged, extreme, and repetitive stress or trauma due to an exposure to an ACE, including poverty, racism, or violence, chronically activates stress hormones and reduces neural connections in the brain just at the time in a child's development when he or she should be growing new ones. What that tells me, man, is that the things we do and the ways we govern our lives resonate far beyond what we realize, you know, we impact our children by the way we live our lives. So if we can get ourselves together and start truly working for the good of our babies, um, we'll realize that return on investment when they're our age. Absolutely. Yeah. Well, thank you, Kari. I appreciate. Thank you, Blood. You know, I appreciate you being on, you know, beyond the headlines. Amen. Uh, and we've got to do this again. Um, and maybe we can get into some other issues. For sure. Um, and and talk about other things that are going on. Yeah. And uh, with that, we are going to end Beyond the Headlines for this week. And uh, as we leave Beyond the Headlines, we'd like to always leave you with an inspirational quote to ponder for the next show. This one comes from Susan L. Taylor. In every crisis, there is a message. Crises are nature's way of forcing change, breaking down old structures shaking loose negative habits so that something new and better can take their place. Until next time, we'll see you on Beyond the Headlines.